0: for the gifts that you give, uh, the teaching that you, you bring. And God, I pray uh, now that as we dive into your word once again, may your spirit guide and lead us. May we see how you are working in all things uh, and in all ways in our lives. And may that be, uh, f- be filling for us as, as we learn more about you. It's all in Jesus' name. Amen. So growing up, uh, the first car that was kind of officially my car, my parents gave me, and it was this car right here. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a car like this. They're not really in circulation anymore. Uh, 1988 Chevrolet Celebrity, and don't let the name fool you, uh, no celebrity during the time I was driving it would ever be rolling in this thing. It was exactly like that. In fact, uh, it was a rust brown color, which was perfect because it covered up the rust that was forming. And uh, it had this felt ceiling that, like, as time went on, the glue had lost its adhesion. And so, like, the ceiling felt like it was caving in on you. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You remember these times? All right. And so... um, For me at the time, I was so mad because it didn't have a CD player. That was the one thing that I wanted for it. If you're wondering, for those of you, it didn't also have an auxiliary cord plug-in also, okay? But every time I went to my parents to complain about this car, they had no sympathy for me whatsoever. They were just like, you don't understand how much we love this car. In fact, for them, uh, it was the first car that they purchased together when they got married. And they said to me, David, even when I was like stalled out on the road calling him to come pick me up, said, David, you need to understand that we want you to steward this car like we have. And, and at the time, I had no idea what in the world that meant, But what that meant, what they were saying was a steward is someone who is entrusted with another's resources and who seeks to manage those resources according to the owner's vision and values. Today, we're starting a new series for four weeks that is called Stewards. And as we embark on this journey, for me, I think back of this car. Something that didn't seem like all that important of a thing, but it was very important to my parents. And, and a steward is that. I love that definition. It is being entrusted with someone else's resources. And we're called to manage those resources as the owner sees fit. In fact the Bible would use this language itself in 1 Peter chapter 4 it says this as each has received a gift as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace what we believe is that, that God has given each and every one of us gifts. And what the Bible is saying here is that we're called to be good stewards of those varied gifts that we have. And so over the next four weeks, we're gonna be looking at four different ways of what it means to be a good steward in understanding priority, intentionality, influence, and even generosity. And that stewardship comes with all of us, which includes even our finances. Now, today, I want to talk about this word, priority. And um, I get it. You may have received a letter from me this week. You may have received an email from me this week about, I really want you to be here and make this a priority. And you might be ahead of the game to say like, well, is the church just going to be asking me about money and this is going to be a really awkward conversation? I, I want you to understand this that when we talk about priority, I think we have a totally backwards understanding on the importance of this word. And in fact, the word priority has great relevance for us and needs to shape us in a different way from a top-down approach. And to show that, I wanna illustrate two stories for you here. The first one is this, it comes in the Old Testament from uh, a guy named Moses. There's a story, it goes like this. Um, Moses is the leader of God's people in the Old Testament, which is before Jesus' time. He's a prominent leader. He uh, led God's people out of slavery when they were in Egypt. He's known as the one that parts the Red Sea and they walk across the Red Sea as it is parted. And and then they go into this journey of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I know, it was bad, right? (laughs) 40 years is a long time. And, And in this journey, they are waiting for instruction from God because God's the one who's ultimately leading them in this journey. And so God has this moment with Moses where he calls him up to Mount Sinai and he like, instructs him. It says in Exodus 19.5, he says that these people are my treasured possession. God loves his family, and his people, he uses that language, a treasured possession. And he wants them to keep his commands. And so this famous moment happens where God gives Moses this instruction known as the Ten Commandments, you've probably heard of it before, and Moses is writing these down, etching them into a stone, two tablets. And as this whole thing is going on, it's taking about 40 days to happen, He's on top of this mountain, but God's people are becoming uneasy. They're disappointed. They're waiting for God, and it becomes frustrating for them. And so we read that this happens in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, "...have corrupted themselves. Leave the mountain. Go down. They're they're doing some wrong things. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." Moses goes down the mountain and he sees God's people had started to worship this golden calf. In fact, Aaron had gathered up all of the gold from the community and they molded together this calf. Now, God isn't upset because they made a really cool statue out of gold. That's not the point. It's not like God has beef with cows. You got it, right? All right wasn't sure about that one. So, but 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 what his point is is he's frustrated with them. Because they've they've gotten their priorities out of whack. They've put this golden calf into the god spot. Remember what God says? He says that they are saying that these gods have delivered us out of Egypt. That's what God's upset about. And so Moses comes down from the mountain, and we read this, his anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets, the, the commandments that God had given them, and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf, I love this, and he made he, he, the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's just a real sweet move by Moses, right? He's so upset here. They've gotten their priorities all out of line. So much so that, that he makes <laughs> them drink the very thing that they had started to worship. And this is important because, because this is how serious we should take it when our priorities get out of whack. When things get messed up. And again, their fault was that they had put something in the God spot. Their priorities had gotten all messed up. I love uh, Martin Luther would say this in regards to how do you know what a God is? He would say this in his description or explanation of the first commandment. He says, a God is from which we are to expect all good, and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. This is so important. You want to know what your God is in your life, what has fit into that God spot? Luther would say, look at the thing that you expect all good, and in which we are to take refuge in all distress. That is our God. And and I recognize that like nobody here today is struggling with the golden calf, idol. I mean, you made it to church today, right? You came to sing some songs and worship God. You're not like sitting at home around a golden calf. But I certainly know that for us as people, there are many things that we place into that spot. If if Luther's definition is right, which I think that it is, the things that we find all good from, and the places that we go for refuge, for some of us, for some of us, that can that can be our jobs that we find all good from. That can be how you do in school. That. That can be your reputation as you just lay awake at night because somebody commented on my social media and I can't have that kind of beef on my page. Or or the fact of trying to obtain stuff. And so what I want you to do right now, if you notice on your message notes, we're going to have a little bit of an interactive time here. You'll notice on your notes on the backside here where it says the message on the bottom there, there's a space for uh, four priorities. I want to give you just like 30 seconds here. We got five of them up here. If you want to do five or four, I don't care. But I would love for you right now to just write out. What would you put there? If you were to be genuinely honest, what is in that top spot? And I promise you, I'm not going to make you stand up and share and say, hey, here are my top five sort of thing, but I'll share you mine and I want to talk about that here in a second. So give you 30 quick seconds to do so. Are you done? Getting there? Somebody really analyzing this. All right. This is good. All right. So here we go. Here would be, I'll show you uh, my top four here. This is how I would break it down. I would say um, my number one would be God. Uh, It's kind of a prereq for my job, but... Um, but I, I would say that if, if somebody were to say to me, what's your top list? Uh, I would say, number one, uh, God. Number two, I would say uh, my beautiful wife, Gretchen, uh, right there, number two, and, uh, and my kids after that. And, uh, and then the third thing I would say would be my job, which is uh, pastor here at this church. And then I would say fourth thing uh, would be health, in particular, uh, CrossFit, and such things like that, all right? And so, um, chances are, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of you might have something similar to this where whether you'd say, you know, hey, God's my number one and, and then I have relationships and then what brings in the bread and all that sorts of stuff and then a hobby that comes with that. So here, this is the really important thing. This is the next thing that I want you to do. With that list that you just worked on, that you worked so hard on for 30 seconds, all right? I want you to do this. I want you to draw a big line like this. Are you doing it? All right. And I should draw another line like this right here. And if you want to scribble all over it, you certainly can. Because when we talk about priority, I think that a lot of us have this mindset, right? Top-down approach. This is what priority means. God's my number one. And I would argue that this does not help us at all. In fact, it creates a huge problem inside of how we understand what it means to be a good steward. I'll give you two reasons why I don't think this makes any sense. The first one is this, that when we have this top-down approach, when is God getting enough? Assuming that God is the number one priority in your life, or even if he's number three, when is he getting enough to be on that list? Like if God is number one, does that mean that like I have to give him more time than anything else that I do? Do I have to sit around and read my Bible every single day, all day, or do I have to know the Bible in every little thing to prove that God is number one priority? Does that mean if God's number one in my life, that every time the church is open, that I got to be there and that everything else is aside and I'm not proving my allegiance to God? See, when we have this mindset of a a top-down list of priority, it creates this anxiety inside of us as people, and it doesn't understand truly what it means to be a good steward. The second problem with this mentality is that it puts God into a box, that God is only in some things. For example, this this happens every once in a while here. People will come in through these doors, and I remember one person in particular, uh, they walked in, it was during the day, and I was here by myself, and uh, we just started talking, and they were looking at the beauty of this space and room, And, um, and as we were discussing and talking about things, things became a little bit more comfortable and all sorts of stuff, and the person like dropped a swear word and immediately covered their mouth they're like, I can't believe I just swore inside of a church. You ever said something like that? And, and to me, I thought it was really funny because it was like, what, you think God heard you more because it was inside the church? Like it's just amplified, like he really heard you on that one, you know? like, <laughs> like why? Like, what's this thought process, right? that we've made this thought in our mind, and I think it's attributed to this, that we put God at, at number one, that we have no problem in, like, in being truthful and honest when we're inside a church building, but, but when we go to our job, we, we manipulate, we cheat. We, we think that, well, God's really not involved in my work. Or as an athlete or as a student, that yeah, I can be honest when it comes to church stuff, but but like in my schoolwork, like, well, at least I can kind of like you know shortcut things. I think it comes from an understanding of this kind of priority list, and it's not helpful for us at all. It misses the heart of what it means to steward the gifts that God has given us. And so, that's why the second story is so important. Because thousands of years later, after this golden calf moment, a scribe would come forward, one who knew that story very well about God's people messing up and putting this golden calf in the God spot. And to never do that again, a scribe came forward to a guy named Jesus, the son of man. And he said, What's the most important thing? And and what what the scribe was doing is, is he was saying to Jesus, hey Jesus, what's your one through five? What's what's the most important thing about life and purpose and meaning? And Jesus answers the scribe this way. We read these words. He said this. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this is a huge statement by Jesus. Tip. To the hearer of that time, to the scribe, the common understanding was that there were gods that existed, but the gods that existed only had reign and rule in certain parts and areas. So if you know anything of the Greek gods, like if you were on a journey on a ship, you would pray to the god Poseidon because he was in charge of the waters and the waves But if you were engaging in battle, you would pray to the god Ares, the god of war. You wouldn't pray to Poseidon as you entered into war. You would pray to Ares instead. And if you weren't dealing with water or war, but you had some relationship issues, you would go to the third god, Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And the common understanding of of gods at this time was that they ruled in certain areas. But what Jesus says is this, it's profound. The most important is this, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God, the Lord that we worship, is in all things. He's unlike any other god. He's not one that just works in some things. He's not one who just works on Sunday morning from 1035 to noon or inside of a building or a space. He's a God who works in all things. (coughs) And so we read, Jesus would continue, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Because God is in all things, that means with our heart at our very core and being, with our soul, with passion, with with our strength, giving everything that we have to love Him, and even our minds, that we should love Him in mindful ways, to be wise in how we do so. And then Jesus says something beautiful. He says, and you shall love, and the second is this, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> For there is no other commandment greater than these. And I don't even have time to unpack that. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about that, of how as good stewards, that affects our relationship with other people as well. But here's, here's the big thing that I need you to understand today. If you get anything from this message today, I want you to understand this one point. It's that Jesus moves priority from this top-down approach to into the center of our lives. This is a profound thought. Jesus moves us from this top-down priority structure to into the center of who we are. And so what I want you to do right now on that same sheet where you listed off those top priorities and you have a big X through them, I want you to draw those same things again except putting God in that center place. Because what you'll see is that when priority is understood as this, that God is in all things, that changes how I look at all things that I have. That this is so important for us to wrestle with and grapple, to understand that God moves from the top into the center of our lives. And the question then becomes, how is God influencing all of these things in our lives? Whether that be our spouse, our relationships, our job, our health, tangible things, yet also intangible things like our reputation. And and yes, I would even argue that this goes into play with our money that God wants to influence your understanding about the possessions that he has given you to steward them well, to learn how to love him in that process as well. And I love this philosophy and understanding because when we get this, it reveals to us that anything else that's put in the center place is dangerous for us as human beings. I mean, just for a moment, imagine if you were to put your job in the middle of who you are as a person. That becomes dangerous for you. Imagine if you put your a relationship or a spouse in the middle. You probably know somebody who's like that and you know that that becomes incredibly dangerous for them. And you certainly should know that if you were to place money at the core of who you are, that too will lead you to a life that can be dangerous to you. And if you put that in the center and that shapes how you view God, you're missing the heartbeat of who God is and how he wants you to see him As well. And in fact, that identity that God gives us is one that is certainly a gift that He gives to us. I mean, we realize that by His death and resurrection, He gives us the center of who we are. It's because of that that we have a new identity, that we look at ourselves differently, that even in the midst of my brokenness, God sees me as beautiful. And it changes how I look at the other people around me as well. When my center, when my God spot is in the right place. But the second danger that can come with this philosophy is this. This is rather interesting. In the 16th century, uh, <clears throat> there was a ruler named Ivan the Great. He was the czar of Russia, and. Uh, Many uh, in, in the area and territory that he was ruling, somebody had brought the good news, the gospel of, of Jesus uh, to this area. And, uh, and so much so that the soldiers that worked for Ivan had said that they wanted to be baptized. And uh, they felt this complexity in, in the struggle of their profession and what they were doing and this identity that was given to them. And so they decided that they would be baptized, but in the process of being baptized, and they went out to the lake to baptize them, as they would dunk them in the water, the soldiers would bring their swords with them and they would hold them out of the water as a symbol to say that most of me is God's, but not this arm that is going to kill. And and as I hear that story, I think it robs us of understanding what God is really saying to us. But I can relate to that story in many ways. Because there are things for us that we hold on to that we just say, all right, God, you can have everything except for this one thing. And maybe for you that is money. Maybe that is finances to say, you know what, like like I'm broke right now. What would God do with a dollar bill every single week? I promise you that God would be shaping your heart in the process of doing that. You might say well, with a relationship like, like, you know, I really love Jesus, but, you know, she doesn't love Jesus so much and, and such things like that. I'm just going to kind of hope that eventually the water is going to splash on her, you know. And I know it's really complex with that, but could we be honest about the fact of that priority means that God is working in all of my life? And so I think back to this Car that my parents gave me many years ago. And it was an act of love and stewardship to show me what it looked like to love something like they loved it themselves. And today, I hope that you would see that God has given you many gifts and abilities. There is no question or doubting that, and if you don't know what those are, I would love to talk to you about that, because the health that you have, the fact that you woke up today is a gift from God. The clothes that you wear is a reminder that God has provided for you The education that you're receiving, the job that you work in, those are all gifts from God. And now he's calling you to be a steward of those things, to remove him from the top and place him into the center. You might be saying like, all right, cool. I get that. How in the world do I do that? Well, that's why you're going to want to be here next week. <laughs> because, because we're going to talk about what it means to be intentional. And I know that for many things in our lives, to be a good steward, it requires some intentional moves to create new habits in our life. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gifts that you give the promises that you bring and how you call us to steward all of the things that you give us for your glory. And God, I I pray today that we would see in a new way that you are in all things and the beauty that that brings, the freedom that comes with that, that you've saved us from the destruction of of idols and things that we seek comfort and refuge in that are not you. We know, or maybe we don't, I pray that we would know that, that only you can provide peace and comfort and refuge because you're the one who conquered death. And so, Lord, I pray that as we continue on this journey, may we be better stewards, may we learn what it, what it means to love you more fully and to better understand the gifts that you have given us and how they can be used to glorify you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he gave thanks. He gathered together his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also Jesus took the cup and after taking a drink He gave it to his disciples as well, and he said, Take and drink this.